Welcome to the Racially Just Schools podcast. In this episode, I had the marvelous opportunity of speaking with Dr. Heather Bennett. Dr. Bennett is the Director of School Equity for the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. During our conversation, we discuss why school boards are essential to building racially just and equitable school districts. We also talked about why policy is a critical lever for equity work in a district and how equity should inform policy but everything throughout a school district. And we talked about so, so much more. So if you are a school board member, you know a school board member, or you're interested one day in possibly running for the school board, I will highly encourage you to listen to this episode. And my hope is that entire school boards will listen to it and have deep reflection and dialogue so it can inform their work. I hope you enjoy it. So let's go. You're listening to the Racially Just Schools podcast, the show that provides resources to help you Hey, welcome to the Racially Just Schools podcast. I am your host, Dr. Terrence L. Green, and I am super excited and I am elated that you are back with us again for another amazing episode. Hey, this episode is going to be absolutely outstanding. We have a remarkable guest in the building, the one and only Dr. Heather Bennett. How are you doing today, Dr. Bennett? I'm great. How are you? I am great. I'm so excited that you're here. And just to begin, one of the questions um, that we ask our guests to, to familiarize our audience with with our guests is if you think about, you know, your professional journey in terms of a movie trailer, um, you know, what would that include in terms of the experiences, the institutions that kind of made you who you are and got you to where you are now in your career in this work that you're doing? I think in a nutshell, uh, you know, I am the daughter of an educator. So my mom is a, was a Philadelphia school teacher for over 35 years before she just retired. And so for me in this house, you know, we were going to go to school. We went to like four places. We went to, you know, church. We went to school. We went home. Maybe we went to the park. I don't know. But we went to legit four places. And so education was like seriously number one in our in our family. Um and just in general, um, I fell in love with um, uh, the law at a young age. And so I knew I wanted to be an attorney at a young age. And so um, I went to uh, undergrad at Penn State University to, uh, it, for political science uh, to actually eventually go to law school. But I had an opportunity to study abroad in South Africa um, for about six months and really talking about and learning about um, apartheid South Africa and had a chance to really work at a school there with um, with black students who were bused in um, from a township to um, the city to go to school and realizing in terms of how much education, ed- educational policy and how they view black and brown students has a huge impact on the opportunities, not just for students uh, to kind of reach whatever dreams they have for themselves, but also in terms of uh, the fact that educational policy can be used as a, a tool for oppression. 
And I saw it there, but I also saw it as it pertains to children in the United States. Uh, if you're from marginalized backgrounds, if you're black and brown, or if you were, you spoke a different language than English, or if you were an immigrant, or if you were a student with a disability, if you were LGBTQ, so if you were outside of the mainstream, you were treated differently, and so did your educational experience treated you as such. Um, and so the marginalization doesn't just start in in the communities that we're in. It starts everywhere and it's compounded and can be compounded in our schools and our communities. And so I, I became obsessed with education ever since that experience. And so I and I taught American government um, in Fulton County, Georgia, um, in a high school. Um, and again, it was compounded uh, really thinking about my students in terms of uh, access to opportunity, but not just that, just even belief that our black and brown students were on par or good as the white students in another uh, part of the county. And so I, I just, and I also realized that the issues that my kids were going through um, uh, uh, could not necessarily always be solved in the classroom, that there were policies and there were narratives and there were um, uh, legislation um, that had a huge impact on you know, on just even the opportunity to be mobile, to be opportunity uh, to get access to certain schools, uh, to to get access to courses, to, to even fund uh, fund our students, uh, 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 and, and 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 so it was this compounding systemic discrimination that I saw not only within the classroom but also outside the classroom, and in in terms of the issues of policies and narratives and procedures and and legislation, and so I I decided then that to go back to my first love, which is to go to law school. So I went back to law school to study the law. And then I, like a glutton for punishment, decided that wasn't enough. I want to understand how these laws and policies and legislation are implemented in classrooms. So I decided to go to grad school and um, get my PhD in educational leadership. Um, after I graduated with my PhD, I, I joined a School Boards Association in Pennsylvania. Um, where I work as the director of equity, the first ever director of equity to to support the building of an equity focused programs um, for K-12 schools in Pennsylvania. We have about 500 school districts in Pennsylvania. Um, and so uh, really it's been uh, for the last four or five years, I've been working closely with districts to support uh, their building of an educational equity program. Um, and it's and, and also really thinking about how policy and systems such as curriculum, data collection, professional development, um, budgets, um, all of that has a huge impact on dismantling barriers to opportunity that our students are facing, but also creating opportunities um, so that our students can actually feel like they belong in schools. And so that's been my, my work thus far. How are you how do you make sense of what equity actually is? Right. Because I know there's some things that are staples, but then at some point there's some context specific ways in which equity shows up. And one of the things I always like to say is like equity has become like an empty signifier It's nothing. And it's everything all at the same time. And it's actually in many ways, I would argue has started to become watered down. It's become gentrified. We used to have these terms that meant something that was res- they, they they posed a level of resistance and a level of destabilization to systems of oppression. But now they're used so frequently 
that uh, I think people can just become uh, immune to them and the the fervency and the power that's embedded in them. But I'm curious, how do you come to make sense and understand like what equity is? Well, I mean, one of the first things we did, I will say, in my organization was define equity because you're so right. People have no idea what it is. And it's been watered down. It's been like there's so many other definitions out there. It's, I, you know, at one point I said it's like the I call it the coconut water of the <laughs> of the of this work. Right. Like coconut water is not regular water, but it's coconut water, meaning it's like a new thing that everyone wants to drink. And, and it sounds really nice. It sounds really cool to say equity. Right. But to be honest, uh, sometimes coconut water doesn't taste that great all the time, right? So it, I think it's really important to be very, very clear about what we're talking about versus what people perceive it to be. And so the first thing we said was we're going to define equity for ourselves. Um, and so we believe that equity is the just and fair distribution of resources based upon each individual student's needs. Equitable resources include funding, programs, policies, initiatives, and supports that target each student's unique background with school context that guarantee that all students have equal access to a high quality education. And so in a nutshell, and, and I'll say this, equity is really providing students exactly what they need um, to fully access their educational experience, right? And we're speaking about it from an educational lens, right? Equity also is a part of other institutions such as healthcare, such as criminal justice systems, such as environmental um, justice, such as um, um, like transportation, technology, um, um, employment, economics. Equ equity is not just limited to education, but for the context of this of this conversation, we're talking about it from a, from our students' perception. And really, what it is is saying we're giving kids what they need to fully access their opportunity um, 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 in the schools. And the reason why it's such it's so important, I think. And that makes sense to a lot of people. Like, yeah, this makes sense. So again, I hear the watered down part. Like, yeah, of course, we're going to give kids what they need. But we don't truly believe it in terms of implementation. We can say it out loud, but I don't think, I think our issue has always been implementation about what it's supposed to do. And that, and I think that's really, I think the kicker is, is this is what it requires. It requires that we are including students and their families, specifically those who've been historically marginalized or disadvantaged by the system. Like and making them a part of the decision-making process. Equity is a paradigm shift about who has had access to power. It is a power process. It's about power, really, and who has had power and who hasn't had power. And equity is saying, like, the first thing you have to do is to, to give kids what they need to fully access their opportunity, we have to make sure that we are listening to them and that we're including their needs and their voices and their histories and their context into the educational decision-making process. Um, and how education has been typically processes from a really hierarchical perception. And usually people with social capital who can have access to those in power, which is, of course, the school district, the board, and various different groups, um, were the ones making those decisions. And so what we're saying is that equity has to have, it has to be inclusive, meaning that it has to uh, really meet the needs and affirm the experiences and, and make the needs of various different groups, multiple different groups in your district and not just one. Um, it has to be fair in terms of we're making sure that they're getting what they need to fully access the system, right? Full, like free of bias. Um, and so it, it's extremely important that we are really reflective of the needs of the community and the needs of our students. And it has to be just, I think, is that it has to address past and present harms done by the system. And 
I'm going to say this. I think this is one of our hardest pieces. That means that we have to look at our policies. We have to look at our procedures. We have to look at our narratives and really unpack how uh, how oppression and discrimination has been embedded in those systems over time. Uh, and, and we struggle with that. I think equity is cute in terms of its definition, but in terms of its practice, it is really, really, really hard to do um, because it requires us to decenter the structure and the power dynamics of the school district itself and center like families and students, specifically those students and families that may be new to the district, that maybe have been disadvantaged by this district, who have maybe ignored by the district, or who have made um, who, extre- who experiences extreme barriers to opportunity in the district, and and it, through a very variety of different means, right? Um, through circumstances or or prejudices or discrimination, there are so many different reasons reasons why that can happen. But it's really, really, really important that we are reflective that uh, it's not just about the definition of it is about how you practice it. And it's the how part that I think we all, we can, we see really the disconnect in terms of the outcomes of, of, of really the outcomes that we are hoping for our kids and from different communities and, and backgrounds. No, that's, that's good. You said a lot there to, to unpack, but I, I, I love that you underscore that, you know, equity is about power. One of the things I always try to, to parse out is that, you know, diversity is about representation, but equity is about redistribution. And so in order to engage in redistribution, it requires power. But oftentimes my experience has been is that districts are so afraid of disrupting the white power structure and the white interest at a district that they back off from it. Right. And so they'll engage in the representation part to an extent. But when it comes to the redistribution, oh, hold on now, what you're talking about? And here's the other thing, though, too, Dr. Bennett, I believe you can engage that redistribution is not necessarily a zero sum, right? Redistribution can actually be a positive sum. Um, But yes, it is about power. And particularly when you're talking about racial equity is about the racialized ways that power has historically and currently functions in districts. You know... It is, I, I think one of the other pieces of the puzzle is too, is like, really, what we do we teach in schools? Like, we struggle to really have real conversations about how people, different experience, how different people experience this world and this country. Like, you know, I was an American government teacher. And, um, and then I went to law school too and taught, you know, learn about the constitution and, and, and laws and policies. And I think we, we have this, I think I say this all the time, there is a juxtaposition um, between the ideals of who we are and what we actually do. And um, I think we really struggle to talk about the real experiences of different types of people in this country. And I'll specifically from racial equity, really talk about the different experiences of people from who are, uh, who are not white in this country who are black, who are Asian, who are um, Latinx, who are Hispanic, who are uh, mixed race persons and, and peoples and who are indigenous. Because it is not the story, the ideal story of America. <laughs> it doesn't, you know what I mean? And I, I think we, sh- and, and then this is where I think we get really caught up is like, 
we really struggle with it because we assume because it's worked for one group that it's going it's working for everybody else and that's not true at the same time too um uh, again with districts have it's really important. I say the justice piece is important and talking about the historical narrative of a district is so essential to kind of thinking about how we move towards equity. Because if you have an historical narrative that says we treated all kids the same, that's not true. <laughs> um, uh, and if you have a historical narrative, if you really look into our policies and our histories and, and our practices and our school board minutes and all that stuff, you're going to see where, um, where you, and, and also municipalities, you're going to see housing segregation. You're going to see um, 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 stereotypical constructs of black and brown persons um, from a very negative light. You're going to see um, um, stories in the newspapers saying that black kids just don't learn like other kids or the kids. And, and I'll speak from my experience. The kids from Philadelphia are just not as good as the kids who've been born in the in the in the community. Right. And so. Because we know what they're talking about. And so I think we for we we have to deal with the level of harm and trauma that racism has done in our country and talk about it with 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 honesty and also hum- humility so that we can move forward and actually develop a system that is going to be for every single one of our kids. I will always say this about districts. I really do believe, and I have to have an optimistic point on this, is because they really do believe that they really want to educate every single one of their kids. And that's extremely important. But like, you've got to understand that they're, because of our history, because of our narrative, and not just history, our present day process towards systemic discrimination in various different forms, racism, ableism, classism, genderism, um, heterosexism, and all the different ways of systemic oppression and the intersectional ways they exist in. If we don't understand that, we're never going to actually deal and do right by our children. This is why equity is about power, is about because if, if, if you do not have access to decision-making processes and programs and, and spaces, you will not be able to advocate fully for the rights of your children. And so that's why equity is so important is saying in terms of inclusion is saying you have to make sure and districts have to make sure that everybody is included in the conversation, in the process, into these groups so that we can actually meet the needs of people because you don't know what you don't know because your experiences are limited until you're hearing from other people's experiences. You know, one of the other questions I want to ask you is that, you know, oftentimes racial equity work, it centers on building the capacity of particular stakeholders and systems, right? Um, we focus a lot on teachers and their instruction and their pedagogy. We focus a lot on school leaders. That's my background in preparing school leaders to do this work around, you know, racial justice and anti-racism. Um, and there are a lot of important stakeholders, even more work, you know, folks been doing on, you know, working collectively with communities. But I think one of the critical stakeholders within this entire context are school boards and school board members that often have not been, I would say, by and large, centered in where we are really focusing the bill capacity. And so one of the things I would love to hear you talk about is, you know, why are school boards critical stakeholders in like district level equity work and racial equity work? 
Oof, very essential. When they get on that board, their role is to support the public education of the students in the district. And they have a collective power. Not one board director has enough power. They have to work together as a team of nine. Um, and it's majority rules. And it, 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 and their role is substantial. They, they set the mission and the vision for the school. So we have a thing that says um, the, dish, the school board governs um, the education and while the administration manages. So the board decides the mission and vision of the district. And of course, the administration um, supports that mission and vision through practices and programs, right? They have the power to adopt policy. They adopt um, a budget. Uh, they um, oversee the achievement of the district. Um, uh, they, um, they, they are the voice and they communicate with and, and communicate with um, the community. Um, um, they uh, oversee the superintendent, right? They evaluate the superintendent, right? Um, and, and administration, um, they have a substantial amount of power. I'm probably missing a couple things that they also do, but they, I think we, for, I think we so focus only on teachers and admin that we forget that without uh, the board setting a vision and mission for equity without the board setting um, um, adopting policies with an equity lens. Oh, they also adopt curriculum. That's been a big thing too. Like without them adopting curriculum um, that is culturally responsive, without like insisting on um, um, reaching parents and families and, and being inclusive of community members um, of diff you know, from different community members, without them um, asking questions about data and assessing achievement and opportunity gaps. And holding, of course, the superintendent accountable to superintendent goals that they collectively um, develop to to make sure that they're moving towards equity. We, you know what I mean. This is the role of the board. The board has a substantial role in moving towards equity. And if the administration says we're going to do this equity work and the board doesn't agree with it, what you have is you're going to have a problem because the the administration is going to uh, like what suggest things and say this is what we want to do, and the board being like no. So it is easy essential that the board's included. And I think one of the biggest things that we've seen is that the board's not getting training on this. You're training the staff. You're training the admin team. You're training even students. But if the board's not being trained, my goodness, it's going to fall apart. And I think also they're the local governance group. I mean, they're elected officials. And so um, it's really important for us to think about that, their political roles as well, and how that has an impact too on um uh on this work as a whole in the community so um yeah i say vote for your local school board director <laughs> school boards it's so important <laughs> because they have such power really and influence to making this equity work but equity work work so yeah or not work <laughs> depending yeah oh yes they you they they wield um a substantial sphere of power in school districts and they are vitally important for all the reasons that you said and i'm curious if there have been school districts that have been particularly school boards that have been working to make like substantive larger structural impacts where racial equity is concerned and if so if, if you know of some or even if you don't know of any i'm curious from your perspective like what types of actions would they be taking like what types of postures and dispositions might they hold um, 
to do this work in very deep and powerful ways. So that's the first part. And the second part I'm going to ask you about is about what missteps do you see a lot of boards make as they, you know, enter into racial equity work? Well, the first thing, the, the boards that I've seen been successful, and again, like no one's perfect. And, and I think one of the biggest things that we need to say this is like boards have to know their role. Um, if they don't know their role as a board, they can also circumvent the work. Like they can ma- micromanage, of course, the administration, which is not the role of the board. They have to um, but or they could be a rubber stamp, meaning they're just doing everything that the district is telling them to do. So I think it's really important. The the, the most successful boards that I've seen know their particular role in this in this educational space, and 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 I think that is one of the most important things. They're really clear on their roles and responsibilities, and and um, and uh, and how they can move the levers of of equity forward, racial equity forward. Um, as well. I think that's the first thing. They know their role. Like, like and period, you know, that's the one thing. They let the administration do what they need to do, but they all, and they also support the administration, but they also hold the administration accountable. I think those are the most, that is, I think, the most important thing um, that they need to start first. The second piece, I think, is they know what this is. I think the most, the, the boards that have had training in this, um, before they're moving in any type of major direction, they've had some definite work as a board to understanding what equity is, what anti-racism is, um, and also, again, their role in that space. Because you can define it all day and every day, but if you don't know your role, and, and like I said, equity is not a noun, it's a verb, it's a it's a movement forward. So if you don't know how you're going to move it forward, then it's going to be really ineffective. So I think the ones that have had extreme professional development, not just one or two, but they've gone through substantial opportunities for professional development, whether as a team of nine, and I, we, we call it a team of 10 in our district too, because the superintendent is like the 10th man um, um, who's a part of these um, these meetings. Um, but uh, they know they're, they, they've had training, so they know what they're talking about. Uh, and I think that's one of the biggest things. Three, I think it's important that they really um, are really clear of the data. Um, they are really looking at or requesting data from the administration as a as a team, right? They're saying like we're going to put money towards an equity audit. We are going to um, we want to, or if there's data coming through. They're asking really deep questions about what they're seeing. Um, about they're asking the why question. So there's data in front of you and they're seeing achievement gaps and like, why is this happening? And they're able to really articulate and have really good understanding of what the district looks like demographically, but also academically and also from an opportunity gap space as well. Like, why is this happening? And so they're doing really their legwork of really asking the questions and getting the data and understanding how they're reading data to understand what's going on in the district. Because here's another thing too, if you, you can't prioritize anything if you don't know what's actually happening. So, and also we have 500 districts, local context matters. So being conscientious and clear about the context of your district is going to be extremely important in determining what's the best movement forward. I think another part of the, I think boards who um, really take the time um you see boards are developing like ad hoc anti-racism committees and ad hoc equity committees are part of equity task force teams in the district are extremely important too. Um, they are getting involved and utilizing their power 
to develop um, um, committees, but also be a part of committees that are talking about developing goals through an equity lens um, as well. And so you're seeing boards get involved in that. I think ta- we see a lot of equity task force popping up across the country. But here's the thing, if the board's not on it, it's ineffective. That's just my opinion. Um, but uh, actually, it's not my opinion. I think there's probably research attached to it. But um, um, like uh, that's been my experience. <laughs> but it, if you're not, if the board's not on it, it's not effective because the board again is the space of governance. If they're not on it, they cannot. They're not going to truly understand. Nor when this comes, when the when the um the action steps come their way, which they can decide on yes or no because of their role as the board. If they're not aware of it, if they're not a part of these conversations, it's not going to be effective. And the cool thing about the board is too, they can also insist that there are diversity and of uh, of different persons, thoughts and backgrounds and races and genders and and gender identities on this, on these committees. They can say they can insist upon those things. And so I, you know, it's important that we are really that the board uh, good boards do that and then my next thing I think that they're in the policy again about policies they are not just developing educational equity policy or anti-racism policies they are looking at their existing policies with an equity lens I think we love to create stuff in education we always love to create stuff all the time but I but like I said before equity is about justice it's also about looking back we have to look and evaluate our existing policies and our procedures with an equity lens. And this is not done just by themselves. The administration is also doing that through curriculum laws in various different capacities. But the, the board is engaging and evaluating their policies with an equity lens, making sure they're degendering um, their, their policy, making sure that it's inclusive of everybody, looking at how the data on these policies and how it's had an impact um, on certain groups of people over others. Um, um, they're, you know what I mean? They're, they're really going through that process. So, so that's another piece of it, as well as developing newer policies, maybe a trauma-informed policy, a racial equity policy, and, and equity in general policy, or various different things. They're also looking towards that as well. Um, uh, and again, like it's a process, right? Um, they are, I think one of the other pieces is community building. Um, I think that's really the most important thing. They are really taking a pulse of their community. They are meeting with the community. They are um, listening to the community. And again, they're not doing this in isolation. Of course, they're in, 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 this is a partnership between the board and the administration. But boards are really, really clear on making sure that they are listening to and that they're inclusive to and, and maybe really thinking about the structure of how they even conduct board meetings to make sure that we are listening to or involving as many people as possible into the process. And that can mean, again, we saw this out of COVID, uh, making sure, you know, make, having remote board meetings, but, but also now hybrid board meetings, but maybe even meeting in places that are community, that our communities are, you know what I mean? These are decisions that boards can make. And so, um, yeah. And then, of course, looking at adopting budgets with an equity lens, like making sure that if you have a plan or a policy in place that the budget and they're adopting a budget is going to be based in to make sure that those those um, goals are operationalized right uh, through through the budgetary process. So, I mean, those are ways I which I think boards that I, I have seen um, be really successful in the work and 
I think another piece of the puzzle too is sometimes saying I'm sorry. You're not going to always get it right. Um, but building trust with the community is so important and recognizing that we have not always done that. And so boards that I think are really reflective of empathy in it as well, I think is, is really essential. Wow. That is, uh, that's powerful. I mean, you mentioned so many things in there. Um, so all the folks who are listening, who are, uh, you know, currently on school boards, thinking about running for the school board, um, I think there's some powerful things here um, for uh, you to just think about and reflect on that Dr. Bennett just shared. And you're right. You know, one of the things Dr. King used to always say you made me think of is that, you know, budgets are moral documents. And so we can see where, you know, school districts values, their interests, their priorities, um, who is who can actually be human in these spaces. We can see a reflection of that based off of 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 the budget. And, you know, one of the you make me think that one of the nuances around this is that school districts, particularly boards, allocate funds to racial equity work, almost like blood money. It's like, hey, we allocated so-and-so to get this department, or we allocated such and such to bring in this consultant, or we allocated such and such. And they think that just because they've allocated a fraction of this larger budget towards racial equity work, that people are supposed to stop bringing the heat in terms of the very racialized experiences that people are having. It's it's almost like the thing, you know, they can point to and it becomes like a fixture and it becomes um, superficial, but it's not substantive enough. And it's, it's very nuanced and it's very complex. And even speaking about it, it, it requires me to even do some more deep reflection into it because it's just like another layer of the veil. But behind that veil, everything has remained the same. I don't know. You just made me think of that, though. But Jay, you're, oh man, it, it, uh, how do I say this? You can allocate a billion dollars to something. Like, but if there's no metrics or accountability attached to it, it ain't going to do nothing. Like, um, I guess, I mean, just uh, straight up. And, 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 and you can allocate $10 to something, right? It, 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 money is fine, but, but if you were, if there is no actual substantial metrics and accountability, if you're not actually rethinking structures, you're just putting, it's, it's, it's like, how do I say this? It's like, we, you know what about what we love about ice cream, right? Is like, um, got the top, got the wonderful toppings on it. It's great. And so I think sometimes we think, oh, once we're doing like, oh, we got an equity director, we got a consultant, we got, um, we put money towards this professional development. That one day in February that everyone has to go to, I, I call those little sprinkles. They're the nice little like accoutrements. They're the, they, you know, and they're great. I love it. It's really good. And it makes us look good. But, you know, the real, the reason, the first thing you actually choose when you look at your ice cream is not the toppings. It is the actual ice cream, right? And that is really what we need to be focusing on. We need to focus on the thing that actually matters is going to have an impact on students. And that is dealing with the structures that are impactful for our students. So money is fine. But if unless it's going to rethink structures of oppression or rethink structures that create barriers to opportunity, we ain't doing nothing. 
right? Okay, so I think that's really the kicker is, and that's one thing about what I love about what we do at PCA is one thing is we're really thinking about structures. We're thinking about policy shifts. Like that is based and baked in um, uh, 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 with an equity lens, with accountability and metrics. You're thinking about um, data and thinking about how we are out talking, not just talking about data, but analyzing data in a systematic way to prioritize space. We're thinking about inclusion, how we're going to engage with families and communities on a systemic level, not just that one and done space and making sure that they are the expertise and we are actually listening and learning from them. Like we have to think about the structure of a system in order for us to make any changes. And unfortunately, I think one of our other issues that we think of, we get really lazy quickly because it doesn't work the first time. You got to build trust. And there's a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of harm done by generations and generations of an educational system that has maybe harmed students. And so you got it. So even if you do all the good stuff and you allocate all that stuff, you still got to understand that there's a long way to go in this journey. And it is okay. It is okay for people to share their hearts. It is okay for people to share um, um, their hurts. It is okay. And actually, we learn to get better when we're listening to those stories. And it's healing to listen to those stories. And guess what? When people are allowed that space to share those things, then we have room and space to grow. But if you don't listen to that, you do not listen to the people of your community and listen to those stories. All it creates is further uh, uh, pain and further trauma. So it's important that we are creating a space where we're doing the external work of dealing with those systems at the same time as we are really dealing with our internal at the same time. We can't do one or without the other. We have to do both. Um, and guess what? You will be okay. Like I, when people get like, well, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm like, I'm so sorry that you, your feelings are hurt about this. But imagine having to go through generations of systemic pain and hurt done by a system that's supposed to educate your kids. Like you will be okay. Like, it'll be okay. Like, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I often tell folks, um, and often it's my experiences. I've had what what with some white folks in this. I'm like, you uncomfortable talking about racism? Try experiencing it. You know what I'm saying? So like, you you yo yo bur yo feathers all in a ruffle because you just got to talk about the idea of something but you're not experientially on the other end of it so it's like districts have selective comfortability right they're uncomfortable now it's time to talk about race but you aren't uncomfortable you spending all them black kids you aren't uncomfortable you putting all the black kids in special education so now i'm curious about another piece that's vital to that mix which um is, is policy why policy as a lever to really do substantive racial justice work in a district? Well, I think we have to just understand policy, right? And policy, I think, is really the blueprint of the educational system or entity, right? It it, it governs what people can do. Um, that's the power of policy. It's it's um, and it doesn't change often. And I know people want to change it every five minutes, but it shouldn't change often. It is really just helping. I, I, it's, I, I, it's a skeleton, really, of a district. It, it, it's talking about and how our policy structure goes. Like it goes like, you know, school board. It affects the way school boards are run. <laughs> you know, it affects, you know, has, it talks about non-discrimination. It talks about um, student, like, 
extracurricular activities, student trips, like budgets. It, it runs all, it's the structure of this district. It's the matrix. You know, I don't know if that's a good analogy. Never mind, it's not. But but it is it is legit. It is the it is the the computer systems, the mainframe of a district. So policy is essential in moving this work forward or actually moving it backwards. Because and again, we have five hundred districts and local control is really huge. And so even though there are policies that every district is supposed to have because it's mandated by federal and, and state um, law, but then there's policies that local districts can decide to do because they feel like it's important for the needs of their district. And this is why we, this is where we see really anti-racism and equity focused policies because um, it's not mandated. Those policies are not mandated by the state or the federal government. And so really this is a local decision. Um, of the district and, and equity policy, and that's the space I typically run in is, um, and I also am seeing districts even move, deciding to take their anti, their equity policy to talk about racial equity policy or anti-racism racism policy. What they're saying is, is like, you know, this is going to be the blueprint that is going to run our, our, our educational equity work in the district. It is that code in the district. Now, here is the most important thing I think is equity is not a topic. And when you look at a policy, typically you have like, you'll have like, oh, your school discipline policy, you'll have um, your extracurricular policy, you have your, you know, tiring, you know, policy, right? As a part of the whole policy mainframe. Equity how we view it is the foundation that should lift up every aspect of the educational system. It should lift up school board service. It should lift, lift up administration um, programs and processes. It should lift up how we uh, uh, family and community engagement. It should lift up teacher and um, teacher and staff uh, uh, um, professional development and accountability. It should lift up um, HR practices, your budgets. It should lift up legal services. It should lift up extracurricular activity. It should lift up your transportation. It should lift up your food services. It should lift up your curriculum. It should lift up every single aspect of the educational system. And I think what most districts do wrong is they just think it's limited to one thing. It is not. So that policy should be connected and referenced to every single policy in your dish in the district. And I, that is how it, if, 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 if equity is opposed to work, it has to lift up every single aspect of the educational system. Um, and so that's how we view it. And so um, another piece of the puzzle though, is this, a lot of districts love to adopt everybody else's policy. So you see a nice little template here. We even have a template ourselves. Like we have a template, template, template. But again, when I say this, every district, even though there are similar issues in every district, it's about local context in your community. Equity is about providing kids what they need. How are you going to have a policy that's going to look the same in this district and that district and that district? No, your dis- your policy should be really unique to your district because it's meeting the needs of your students. And so this is why I think we in, in every district and people have different perspectives on this. You need to put it in policy. I agree. However, I think people need to do the work first. Because you're going to be held accountable to something that you don't even understand. So you're having a policy in place and you don't even know what equity and anti-racism is. And if you're not careful, a new board 
will take that policy and, and get rid of it, right? If you are not doing the work at the ground up, you have to really start to think about, we want a policy that's going to be the mainframe of our district, then you need to really think about how do you build capacity for that and making sure you have things in place. So when you have a policy in place, you're not just now building from scratch. No, you have things already built. What you're doing now is starting to connect points. That's what it needs to do. And so what we've seen too is that, um, yeah, it's essential that the district does really good work, really start to really talk about this equity work in the community, that they're making sure there's professional development being done, um, that they're really, I also say to dish boards, maybe not create their own policy, but look at their equity policy or anti-racism policy, but look at their existing policies with an anti-racist and equity lens first. Um, start that process up. So when you do develop your policy, you will be ready to go because you can create a policy, but do not have the infrastructure in place to be able to do anything with it. And what has happened that I have seen is that that opens up doors for confusion. And I'm I'm from I'm a church kid, and God is not the author of confusion. So nothing is going to work well when there's confusion. Um, so it's really really important to be to try really hard to develop a I would call it develop a plan for your develop your policy program. Um, if you're moving towards a wanting an equity or anti-racist policy, I say really really work hard to. Um, thinking about this. Do you understand the demographics of your district? Have you looked at your data? Because your data will tell you what your policy needs to focus on anyway. Like some districts are going to focus a lot more on discipline or focus that that'll be part of their guidelines. Some other will talk a lot about uh, um, trauma and mental health. Other might talk about multiple different things, but your data has got to show it. So have you looked at your data? Do you define equity and anti-racism? Do you even know what that is before you put it in a policy? Like, um, uh, do you understand or have you looked at your curriculum? Uh, cult, cult, think about culturally responsive curriculum. Are you, of course, um, um, engaged in professional development? Are you looking at your positive and equity lens? There are some things and steps you should probably be doing in your journey towards developing an, a system-wide equity or anti-racist policy. Another piece of the puzzle is a lot of districts and boards love to create this policy in secret. They don't say nothing about it. They just develop it. <laughs> and then by second reading, pass it. Not everyone's going to the po- going to the meetings, you know, and then they're quiet about it. And then it blows up later on down the road. My Get your community involved in the policy process. Um, and another piece of the puzzle Stop talking to the adults all the time. Talk to the kids. Making sure student voice is a part of this process as well. They will tell you what they need and they will help you develop a policy that's going to meet the needs for them. So I think it's extremely important um, that I think districts need to do some work. I think it's (laughs) extremely important that districts do some legwork first and making sure the board at least is trained in this before they're developing a policy on equity and anti-racism and that it's not just a part of this board that every onboarding board because boards change up every year that's why it's a really hard sometimes to study boards because they're not they're not consistent they don't operate as a team of nine for like 10 years no it can change ever every three to four years and also maybe even one year depending if they are uh, if there's a vacancy on the board and they just added somebody in so boards culture changes every year 
um, board dem- de- you know, demographics change every year. So I think it's going to be really important that equity in anti-racism is a part of that ongoing process for them um, moving forward uh, to sustain the work moving forward. Um, for boards and thinking about developing equity policies or anti-racism policies, again, it depends on, I, I really do believe that is the case. So, um, and to help to think through about how to connect their equity work with all the other policies. That is the key though. If I were to say anything else, that is the key. You have to connect it. And it's not just about the policy. It's about the um, in Pennsylvania, we have administrative regulations, which, which is where the administration takes that policy and develop pro- practices and goals and action steps to make that policy a reality, right? That's going to be important. It's not just the policy. You got to build capacity for the policy at the same time. And so um, it is it's hard. I'm not going to, I'm going to say this and it is hard work. And I think one of the biggest questions is going to be as we are, districts are really developing equity and anti-racism policies throughout the country is thinking about not just what's in the policy. That's one thing component. What does the policy do and how do we judge it and how do we determine outcomes and really look at that data? That is going to be critical um, moving forward because it's newer. Um, I think you can look at probably Canada, who's probably had anti-racism policies for much longer than the U.S., but um, really thinking about how do you assess this policy on a, on a yearly basis and making and seeing what the outcomes are is going to be absolutely essential. Essential. Wow. Wow. Just, just absolutely powerful. Um, you said so much in there that uh, I definitely would invite people who are listening to just go back and listen to all that, particularly if you are on a school board or if you are supporting folks on school board, know someone who's on a school board, definitely share this episode with them. Uh, To close, one of the things we like to do on the Racially Just Schools podcast is to ask our guests to engage in a series of rapid questions. Okay. The goal is to have a little fun to let the listeners get to know you a little bit more. And so I'm going to ask you about four or five rapid questions uh, to close out our conversation today. You ready for it? Yeah. All right. The first question is, if you are not working in education, I guess, what other career area would you be working in and what would you be doing? I would go, I would be an artist, I think. I would go into that piece. Um, I like to paint. I like to draw. Um, so it's actually part of my like decompressing things that I do. And, um, it's also, I think an opportunity of, uh, I think it's also a space to perpetuate social justice, um, anti-racism is through art. And so I would be doing that. Awesome. Work. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So what if there was a movie made about Dr. Heather Bennett? And someone had to star as you. Who would you want to play you in a movie and why? Regina King. Regina King would play. I would play, yeah, Regina King. She's amazing. And she would like, like, I mean, I know I'm like, like, you know, but, you know, I see my career and growth, like seeing as like a long standing um, career situation. I think she would be 
freaking fantastic. Uh, my next question is, if you could instantly become an expert in anything, what would it be and why? Oh, God, it would definitely be something in like biological sciences or something like that. Um, like I find I know nothing about science. Um, but I find that is where I should have gone and I would have made more money. <laughs> like if I, if I were, um, and I think maybe not biological, maybe physics, like something in the sciences, like physics or something that I could just understand math and science. I definitely feel like I could really change the world, um, and really be able to build some amazing things that people need on a day-to-day basis. I think that is. If I could be an expert in anything, that would be what I would choose. Well, amen, amen, and amen to all that. That's that's super powerful. Um, before we transition and close everything, could you please tell our listeners, you know, where they can find you to learn more about your work? I'm sure, you know, my, my hope is that school boards will actually listen to this, not just individual directors or trustees, although I hope you listen to it, but I hope you share it with your entire board. But where could folks learn more about your work? Um, and, you know, possibly connect with you if they want to learn more about doing this in their district. Yeah, I definitely would connect to the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. I would just, you know, check them out. Um, uh, it's pretty easy, www.psba.org. Um, that's a really good place. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can always um, uh, reach out to me at heather.bennett um, at psba.org. In general, if you're really interested in school board service and supporting the equity work of school boards, I would definitely, definitely check out um, PSBA.org. Awesome. And and folks, definitely check out Dr. Bennett. If your district um, is really grappling with and trying to figure out your way forward, particularly school boards with doing anti-racist and racial equity work, I definitely highly recommend you getting in contact with Dr. Bennett. And so, Dr. Bennett, thank you very much for being a guest on the Racially Just Schools podcast. It has truly been an honor. It has been a blessing. And I am deeply humbled and grateful that you took the time out to have a conversation with me today about your work. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. This has been fun. Well, that is it, folks. Thank you so much for joining Racially Just Schools podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And I am so excited and really looking forward to our time together during future podcasts. What I need you to do is to please hit the subscribe button, share with a friend, please leave a review. Love review. And if you want to hear more from me, you can head on over to www.raciallyjustschools.com. That is www.raciallyjustschools.com. When you join our community, I have a free video for you on three tips that will make your racial justice work better. And again, if you love the show, hit subscribe, rate it, and leave a review on iTunes. And until next time, peace.